Well, I was in the bathroom for a while yesterday installing my bidet. Two now, days ago. How's your bidet going? It's going Where's pretty well. <laughs> yes. Um, it is having no troubles finding the exact eye of my butthole, which is good. <laughs> you know, I've not wanted to use a bidet anywhere other than my home because, like, I need to, like, hang out and use it wrong before I figure out how to use it right. And I don't want to. Yeah. So, and I got to install it and I felt like a dad. I felt like a dad. I'll, I'll get, I'll get the transfer paperwork going. Good. Thank you. <laughs> dad of an older kid though. Bidet in a house with a toddler, not something you do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That kid would spray it against the wall, which is what happened when I installed it. And just like, it it's like, a law. Yeah, he was you coming at me. That first, I had to change my sweatshirt because it was just soaked all through the shoulder <laughs> of this stream that like went up. And I was like trying to figure it out. I was like, I don't know if it goes off when I twist this or I flush it. So I had to call Django, but I was like holding the toilet lid down, but trying to see in it and like push things. It was still like squirting and ricocheting, and it was. Um, I had to go upstairs and ask Django a question that day and I was standing there waiting for him to finish his call and really just trying to figure out who he was talking to about what with the statements uh, he was who is, thinking. Who is Django explaining how a toilet works to? acceptable podcast just threw Django <laughs> off with it. He was like, you know, ready to say something probably wise or about efficiency or streamlining. And yet, here we are. Um, 202, I think. 202. Four good buddies. Bunch of comics come into the comic shop that we run and then we talk about them on a podcast. No UPS required. <laughs> uh, so you were just going to say something. Yeah, I was going to, I was going to say, isn't 202 the washington dc area code hmm. it is that is such an wow. important piece of information Django. i am so deeply grateful that you shared that four episodes right from now we'll be on that seattle area or seattle phone line 206 yeah, you know that's right that's just working right. on getting to 509 from my point of origin i think 205 is georgia thank you georgia for the president stuff <laughs> you did it alone you well did it alone hey Django. Yeah. Last night I was going to bed and I hadn't eaten dinner really. I didn't eat dinner really, but I did a D&D call thing. Got a little buzzed. Got a little bit too buzzed. Yeah, you texted um, me. I identified that you were buzzed. Well, I, I did say in the first message, got a little buzzed playing D&D. So that I, helped identify it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, the benefit of that was that I somehow went to bed craving a Philly cheesesteak. And then today when I was like, like I woke up, like, I'm just got to, I'm going to do a meeting with a professor for the store. Um, and then after that, I was like, I'm going to go to Da Vinci's where I have not been in nine months or whatever and get myself a Philly cheesesteak. And then I got like halfway there. I was like, I have to get Django a stupid Quattro Formaggio sandwich. Cause it's like his favorite thing. And he hasn't had it in forever. So then I was very excited to bring you your sandwich today. It was a high point for me. Dude, you knocked on my door. And it was loud and confident and not scary. Mm -hmm. So I need you to teach me that. <laughs> yep. And then Eli and I sat on the couch and watched Mandalorian while 
I made orgasm sounds into that sandwich. <laughs> nice. 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 I was like, I don't know exactly, but no mayo. We'll just do a no mayo on Dude, here. it was it it hit the goddamn spot. It's like Good. Yeah, you get a mouthful of cheese with every bite. No matter how small the bite is, it's a mouthful of cheese. Mm. Love that place. Love Da Vinci. Shout out Da Vinci Subs. I'm Jeff. Uh, hi, I'm Django. I'm Colette. I'm Da Vinci. Uh, the Papcassone Vitruvian Man. <laughs> Romanardo Da Vinci. Oh, no, Roma Regina. <laughs> Which is one of the names of the Ten Realms that is connected to Otherworld that I have since oh, learned from right. reading the Ten of Swords because Roma Regina is one of those places and we have our very own on this podcast, Roma Regina. We confirmed it wasn't Regina, right? Yeah. Okay. It's like Orangina, the, the drink. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Love it. And this is the kind of humor you come for on the Perfectly Acceptable podcast. <laughs> this week, we're going to be talking about a veritable cornucopia of books. The first being Scarenthood. Have you heard of it? No, but we've all heard about it because of Django. And yeah. he loves it. So I'm excited to talk about that. Death Metal Infinite Hour Extreme. We're going to talk a little bit about Hellboy and the BPRD, the Seven Wives Club. You're going to hear a little bit about we could only find them when they're dead. We only find them when they're dead. Number three. We're also going to talk about Taskmaster. Number one, Miskatonic. Number one, another book that only punchline special. Number one, Seven Secrets. Number four, and we're going to talk about, it was one Roman read. Sorry, I wasn't paying attention. I, I can't remember I don't know what you said. <laughs> um, um, Resident Alien. Um, and was that it? Sure. And? A little spot of X-Men books to put in Django's tea. We're going to be teabagging Django with X-Men books. And that's the four X-Men books that came out this week. Actually, it was three this week, but one from last week I forgot to grab. So we're going to be talking about Marauders 14, 15, Excalibur 14, and Wolverine 7, variant edition. Listen, Scarenthood, Nick Roche, Chris O'Halloran. I had to actually Google after I finished this issue to make sure that it was not the creative team of Time and Vine. I was pretty convinced it was Holy Time and shit. Vine. I had that same feeling in yeah. you at some point, and yeah. I can't tell you what about it made me feel like that. Maybe it was the noses so many words. on people that, like, you know, Django. That's yeah, the art. The art for sure. I would also say that I've never had a kid. And I'm just already stealing Django's thoughts. But Django, you kind of approached everyone in the world and said like, hey, this book is awesome and it has authentically <laughs> written children. And so yeah. everyone read it. And I totally agree with you. Those children sound authentically written. I do not think the adults sound authentically written. Yeah, I guess I was just so distracted by uh, believing the kids that I didn't, I didn't notice if the, if the grownups weren't uh, legit. I thought that like the parents' interactions with the kids were spot on and awesome mm -hmm. the amount and the like some of the stuff where they're talking about with their children right there that they clearly know that the kid isn't paying attention so fuck it kind of thing like all mm -hmm. that was good but the just adult conversations kind of got to me those are the bit. ones that felt like they were junior high students or something like when it was just yeah. parents i was like we have this like the weirdo oh, the lady see, with the saved shaved heads and she's here's just the like, thing though is that when you've got a bunch of parents together with small children they have regressed to being like middle <laughs> school, early high schoolers with their ability to have a conversation because you spend so much time and I only have a toddler. Right. <laughs> you spend so much time just talking like, yep, that's a choo-choo train. Like put away your Lego, time to put away Legos. Just this like, idea of like, the, I double dog dare you to crawl underneath the stage, yeah. you big 
coward. <gasps> oh my God, you're right. Okay, I'll do it. I'll do, like, I only probably really picked up on that because I was focusing going into this on how authentic that like th- that the interaction with children were authentic. Right. So, and I do, I totally agree with that. I think they're even just down from that very first moment where you, the kids are speaking and like, daddy, I done two poos today, but we could only find one. It's just like, <laughs> that's, I bet an awesome statement that you just hear when you pick up your kid from school in some life. But then the adults, I was, that, I was like, Oh God. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I guess I liked, I liked the adults. I, I did think that it was a little bit sort of uh, Scooby-Doo mystery machine when they break into the place. Um, but, but I thought that the horror that came after that was pretty well done. Um, and I like that the, it's not a bunch of the same age parents, even mm-hmm. like the, the one guy mm-hmm. whose brother died or disappeared under the stage when they were kids. Um, he's an older dude who just happens to have a little kid. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I thought it was I thought it was really effective on all fronts. Yeah, I really thought the character building was was good. It's a lot it's a lot more than I expected. Um, it's way more than I expected. I totally agree mm-hmm. with you. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm real curious like what happened to Super Irish guy's brother uh, or just our no, Cormac? C- Cormac, Cormac. Okay. I'm not sure. I'm really curious like what happened to his his wife, right? You know, are they just splitsville and he's trying to hide it from his daughter or what? Mm-hmm. I mean, my guess is she's dead or in jail, but because it's something shameful and yeah. daughter keeps asking to talk to her, but they can't or he keeps putting it off. Like that's more than splitsville. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I, I liked this book. I think I, it gave me such bad anxiety the whole time through. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just had this overwhelming, like, no, I know that this is a horror comic, so nothing bad is going to happen, so don't go fucking under the stage because you have a small child and no one else at home with her, and she's going to be alone. Don't put the child at risk. I don't want to read about the child being put at risk. <laughs> and I had this, like, overwhelming, stupid, hormonal, maternal, just, like, I wanted to scream at everybody in the book because, no, there are children. Protect the children. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I... such bad anxiety, like, even now it's kind of coming up. I did, too. I mean, it was just, like... I think that they did such a great job of establishing how much you care about all of the kids in this. Cause they all do speak so genuinely that, mm-hmm. and that the artwork is like very, it, it seems like it would be art in a book like time and vine. Right. So that like, as you're reading it and you're just reading a dad interacting with these, his kid and it's kind of cute. And this is the art you're kind of like, yeah, so I don't really know what I'm reading, but what's good. But then you're like, Oh wait, no, it's supposed to be a scary book. Like, so in the way that like choose story and art are tonally very differently, like mm-hmm. different so it makes you have a feeling that is counter to i think the way that it's being written this felt a little bit like that to me in a good way but like it, it made that stressful stuff even more stressful and caring about the kids a lot like because they're so well written yeah definitely. and the the body language and the action is all very clear like i don't think there was a single panel where i wasn't sure what was going on or how people were moving which doesn't always happen mm-hmm. and and I, you know, it's interesting. I'm conflicted because on one hand, I don't think any of the adults were very likable. Mm-hmm. No, it reminded me one of the many things that made me not want to be a mom, which is having to deal with other parents. But maybe it's also just like when you're a parent, you know, you're not a great parent all the time, right? But there are times with oh, all yeah. those parents where I was like, you're kind of shitty. Like, I don't know. That seems a little shitty. Um, and maybe that's just, I'm not a parent. So maybe like, that's the thing that's just good writing. But like, for me, you know, I think you look for within writing like tropes or something, right? Like if, is this dad, this protagonist, he's the good guy. Do I follow him? Cause he doesn't 
present with the tropes of like a good guy Protagus, right? He's particularly fallible in a way that isn't sort of just like, you know, Frodo fallibility. Oh, you'll get there, buddy. Someday you'll have a baby. You'll, you'll, uh, I'm going to make you read this when your baby's two years old. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. Well, no, and the same anxiety (laughs) attack that I did. And you're also going to go, yep. Yep. Oh yeah. That's him sitting there with the kid (laughs) zonked out at the TV, looking at his phone and then disappearing to work and forgetting that they need to feed their kid. That happens real fast. Oh, I was just glad nobody drew taskmaster with really short legs in this issue. Yeah. I was thinking about that too. Like, all of these people seem like they look pretty good, but if any of them was dressed as Taskmaster and their legs were too short, that would really change the tone of this book. Be a bummer. Be a real bummer. I would, I think I would give this probably a seven and a half or an eight. Um, I, I think it's, it's one of the best IDW things that I've read in a long time. Since Time and Vine, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I read every issue of Time and Vine. Somewhere. We all did, but we all did. We had yeah, wine but- nights. They were so much fun. I wasn't me. in on the fucking joke <laughs> from the beginning, and I still managed to read it all. I think looking back at it, that honestly was one of the most formative things for this podcast was like, <laughs> it was, I think one of the first weeks where Django was not around and we decided to like read this probably garbage book and have a theme night about it. And then it kind of became this joke about Roman in time and vine. Like all of it was, that was a very, it was a, that was a sort of tonal shift for the podcast. I am very proud of us for that. I mean, really it's about the work. It's just the work, man. I really celebrate the work. Um, I give this book seven and a half Leo Williams. It's three quarters of as good as if it had been a Leo Williams book. That's, which is a 10.0. 7.5 for this one. Yeah, I'm tracking. I get it. I'm going to give it a seven. Because um, I, I don't enjoy having an anxiety attack when I'm reading a book. So you shaved points off for the anxiety attack instead of adding points for it. Is that what you're saying? Um, yes. What do you okay. do with anxiety, Django? <laughs> oh, if, if a piece of I don't art can give me anxiety, I give it, I give it extra points, but yeah. I totally understand docking it too. Roman, how many times in vines do you give it? <laughs> I'll give it eight times in vines. Nice. I, I, I really liked it. Um, for all the reasons y'all said, I also misread the title. I didn't realize it was scaring hood. I thought it was scarrant hood. So I thought it was going to be about the emotional traumas of raising a child and relationships. <laughs> Just like time Whoa. and vine. Okay, I made that up. That was a joke. I was just reading it. I was like, dude, nice <laughs> one. Nice interpretation of the word scarenthood. Like that is deep. I never deep. heard Django say anything about it. So I, I just totally went into this cold. Yeah, ditto. I just was like, no, it's a number one. Yeah. I, I should have texted Parenthood you is too. Scary. Yeah, I actually it, thought, because of the art, I thought it was going to be like an all ages book. <laughs> yeah. And, it, you know, to be fair to Roman, I don't. To be fair. I don't, to be fair, I don't think that that last panel was telegraphed at all. Like the last panel has some sort of uh, like fucked up ghost following. That has now made just friends with the child. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, little dead brother. Yeah. I don't think that that was super. Oh, it's the little dead brother. Good call, Colette. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Her new friend. Yeah. She made at school. Yeah, that totally was, the, yeah, yeah, that makes the sense. Bro. I was just like, we got a family of ghosts and stuff now. Yeah, I, it's, it, you know what, like looking at it, it's, it kind of reminds me of like an adult swim show, like in that era of like home movies and the oblongs mm-hmm. and C-Lab, like the art 
is good and kind of charming, but it's kind of fucked up in a way where like at some, you know, like I guess page two when you have the cool mom who's like, and you just want to get drunk in the day. But like there's this, this weird, it's like, uh, it's almost striking and interesting narrative flow balancing between being like childish and all ages looking and then, you know, mm-hmm. relatively fucked up. So I, I do think it's pretty cool. On the topic of going deeper, I think, did everyone read <laughs> Death Metal Infinite Hours Extreme? Fuck yeah. yeah. Everyone read this? <laughs> my first ever Lobo I've read. Dude, Whoa. like, wow. Whoa, cool. pop my logo, but Lobo Cherry. Dude, what? I. Beatles Giz. Riedel, like, Riedel, what the fuck did I just say? Uh, halfway through the <laughs> pandemic, I read Lobo number one at Django's behest of, like, his original series. And I was like, oh, this is, like, this whole thing is better than I thought. And I don't know much about Lobo. And in general, I would avoid him, except this writing of it at least two of these three reminded me of that first issue Mm -hmm. that I had read, especially like the third one, I guess the first and the third ones. I didn't like the second one. I didn't fully finish that one because like, I was like, I don't want to read a huge Lobo comic, but I do like Django. So I'll start it. And it got me further than I thought it would. Um, But the second one lost me. And then the third one was Dennis Cowan and, is, uh, is the second one the Becky Cloonan and Rags yeah. Morales? Yeah. Yeah, it was the Becky Cloonan, which was kind of the big reason why I was like, yeah, I'm sure we're going to talk about it on the podcast. And it's got Becky Cloonan. I'll read it. And I think reading that second part, knowing that it was her and kind of reading it with knowing what her intention with her writing tends to be, mm-hmm. it read differently than if I hadn't kind of put it through that lens. Um there was a little, I realized it needed a little more tongue in cheek or a certain type of tongue in cheek to read it. Um, yeah. Then a different type than the Frazetta Batman, which was the funniest Ugh. joke in the beginning. Yeah, Ugh. I like the Frazetta Batman. And I like that he said the Batman man. Yeah. And the Batman who frags. Like, yeah. there were so many uh, Dino worthy Loboisms. Dude, I. As I was reading this, I was like, we've got to send this to Dino. And I was like, he's on like, he's on strict. Nothing goes in, nothing goes out. But he needs to read this comic. Dude, mm-hmm. yeah. Bruce Wayne injecting himself with the last Cesarnian DNA and turning into Lobo is awesome. Okay, wait. So you pronounce it Cesarnian? That's how I've always pronounced it. I don't know Roman, how, how do you pronounce really? it? I pronounce it like the Russian czars. Zarnian. Yeah, Zarnian. Zarnian. That's Zarnian. Yeah. Accurate. I encountered it when I was about 13. So, <laughs> <laughs> And I've not gone back. Okay. This, this is the best logo, Lobo, Jesus, Lobo story I've read in years, I think. Because it just sounds like Lobo. <laughs> I was yeah. stunned at how much it sounded like this comic from the 80s that I read. I guess early 90s, late 80s, you know, six months ago. And and I've read him in other things before, and I just don't care about him because it, like, it is 90s. This was, like, it was that, like Colette said, it was that Frazetta Batman comment on, like, page two or three. Where I was like, okay, okay. <laughs> so this is, this is aware enough that I'm not going to just be reading a shitty, meth, like, metal tie-in. Yeah. Did you just say meth metal? It was, yeah, it was a, it was a slip of the, the tongue. That's the prequel. I thought that the Dennis Cowan and Bill Sienkiewicz art in the back was pretty rad. It it mm-hmm. approaches the Simon Bisley art that was in that first series that I fell in love with Lobo in. And it also has a lot of references to it. Like his, his school teacher is a main character in that. And that's uh, what Brainiac is wearing in Lobo's fantasy. I thought that was awesome. Um, yeah. 
I don't know what the story was, though. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's clearly the kind of book that the story doesn't actually matter, but it mm -hmm. seemed like it knew that, and so mm -hmm. it didn't try, which I liked. I, I hate when it's a book that's like just supposed to be an excuse for some fun fan service and silly moments, but they get too caught up in trying to tell the story. Yeah. And this was just like, yeah, we've got a plot so that it ties together, but that's not why you're reading this. So let's just focus on what you're here for. Here's an anthology with portals in between. Yeah. The, um, <laughs> Jeff, you are so hot. Uh, <laughs> The first bit for me, I didn't like as much as the rest of it. I was kind of like, oh, this is going to be a slog just because that like, there's a fine line for me between being able to laugh at this kind of a, a dude and being grossed out by him. And that first bit I leaned a little too heavily into the just like gross sexist biker dude that I don't want to have to be reading. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I wonder if Lobo would be created today well i guess when no, he was created he, would he was not totally be different today when he was created he was in a an orange and purple suit in space well, but the first business the, one the the yeah the first lobo as we know him i don't i don't think that would happen punchline was created now so i feel like this would probably be possible now too yeah uh, not from dc though probably probably from dynamite or somebody i love the <laughs> i just saw I, the I'm sorry, I just noticed the one where he says, get ready to become the Batman who's missing a spleen, punk. <laughs> <laughs> and when, he's, when he's writing Bruce's parents. That was and, my favorite. Uh, his mom <laughs> says, I do forsooth my beloved Zorro sucks. And his dad says, prithee, my dear sweetheart, and all that other rich weenie barf. And then Bruce just says, fart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like a Django comic and it's not bad. I was I was ready to like I was ready to you know it, it affected me a little bit like that reading that first issue of Lobo did when we did that six months ago in the pandemic, which is like uh, oh shit. <laughs> like Colette said, the like the the masculine biker portion of it, I don't care about. It is kind of everything that's terrible up about the '90s of comics. Yeah, but when he's being written like kind of as the writer being aware that it is the worst part of nineties comics, then it's a little bit better. Yeah. I guess I, I like be able it. to laugh at it, not <clears throat> be reminded of what's so gross about yeah. this kind of concept. And yeah. that, I feel like that's what it was when Giffen and Bisley were doing it. Like it yeah. was a comment on hyper-masculinity in comics. And then as soon as those guys left the book, it, it got kind of watered down and also more offensive at the same time. I would give this a seven and a half, mostly leaning on the uh, Sam Humphreys writing and the Sienkiewicz inking, which is as close as we're going to get to Bisley right now. I'll go seven. I think that it is very good. If you like Lobo and not just like, hey, if you're a 90s kid who likes Lobo, but like it's, it's there. I, I, Lobo was a more complex and nuanced thing than I think of. And I cannot believe I just said that. I'll give it a, I think a, geez, at least an eight. I, I, I really had this. I really had fun with this. This was my favorite death metal thing I've read. Uh, I guess I'm going to go with a seven. It's hard. I, I have a hard time giving it a score because I feel like each of the individual stories I would give a, or chapters I would yeah. give a different score to. Yeah. It built, each one was better than the last one that I had read. So mm -hmm. I will average it to a seven. 
Yeah, and everybody's ah. legs were perfectly proportioned in this thing. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, this was so good and stupid. Lobo's, what I love about Lobo is, is he's the only actual, because I loved heavy metal and still love heavy metal. He's the only heavy metal superhero. Hellboy and the BPRD, the Seven <laughs> Wives Club, Mike Mignola, Adam Hughes. Last, two, these, last time these two uh, coordinated... Mm. Coordinated on a book together. Good word. <laughs> was that Hellboy Krampus knot story that we loved, right? Yeah. Like the the Halloween. Nothing sorry, stops the Krampus knot. <laughs> the Christmas Hellboy issue that we read. I feel like we read that out at Jay's house the year that X Men Grand Design came out, and we did the New Year's podcast yeah. out at his house. I feel like it was two Christmases oh. ago. Yeah, it's just a, a tight little twenty-two page story about. Hellboy and uh, his companion finding ghosts and busting them. I finished this issue and I was like, Sam, this is a fantastic one issue horror story. Hellboy is really cool. And then she was, cause she was like, I don't know who Hellboy is. I was like, he's really cool. And she didn't read it, but like, I actually was like, I think that this is a really good, just anyone could read this without knowing who Hellboy is. The art, is really gorgeous the Mm -hmm. female protagonist is a total badass like i think it's just a i thought it was a really good supernatural ghost story yeah Yeah. i loved this this was the one thing this week that i was like i genuinely was like totally grabbed the whole way through really enjoyed it and happy that i had read it at the end of it and uh my first ever hellboy comic you are popping shit this week i know i i've always meant to read hellboy i just you know haven't gotten around to it yeah yeah finally did it really liked it i mean i know who hellboy is i'm a little higher up than sam in the the (laughs) you know the yeah words um but uh yeah this was awesome i fucking love this it was like just the right amount of creepy but also fun and light monster hunting but with you know good groups of student doctors fucking up (laughs) a guy who murdered all of his different wives at what yeah it's great i loved it there i always love stories that are about people in the 20s or 30s who could have multiple families I'm always fascinated by that. I love mm-hmm. that that conceit, and uh, I it makes you make sense. <laughs> but, yeah, wait, have multiple family, so bigamy? <laughs> no, like like people who would say that they were they would tell their wife that they were a traveling salesman and then go across the yeah. bridge to their other wife and kids. But they'd and, actually be traveling salesmen, and they would have families in different states yeah, on their yeah, way. Yeah, yeah, it's fascinating. There's still people who do a little bit of it, but it, it's so usually like two now. families. It is harder now. Yeah. I keep it's almost more work than it's worth. But frankly, yeah. I just a lifestyle is a lifestyle. They touched on that in Severed. Um, I Adam Hughes when he's not just drawing like Cover Girls is a phenomenal artist Mm -hmm. i i really do like i love his work and i love the way he draws hellboy i love whatever like i don't know if he does his own inking or coloring he did he did a haul in this one he Mm -hmm. it's like Mm -hmm. both flattening and then providing depth like there's like a flatness but then the shadows of skin tones provide the texture and i just i really i really like that i 
if these two just wanted to do a once a year thing, I would be totally on board for that. So this panel where the, the monster finally mm. says stop, mm -hmm. that is so out of place and so bizarre. And it, it stopped me reading to study why it was so weird and different. And in the end, I decided that I thought it was cool and I would allow it. You know, I similarly um, to that, the page right before it, the top shot is one of these flaming wife ghosts choking Hellboy and then someone tears up a heart and it's the, like the exact same panel with his head turned, but that one ghost gone. That was mm -hmm. another instance of like, oh, great storytelling. Like mm -hmm. great, great storytelling. It, I had to look at it a couple times or like go back and forth between the two and like, no, yeah, that's that's exactly where that other arm should be. Oh yeah, there's yep. the hand showing and like it was the layers that were conceptualized to make sure that it was perfect and not just yeah, it was kind of you'll get the idea that it's the same right. thing. Yeah, I thought it was really good. I've been pricing up a bunch of back issues for Wonder Woman and when Adam Hughes paints or draws a Wonder Woman cover, if you can see most of her tits, it's worth about 15 or $25. If you can't, it's a $3 comic. And it's just one of the more demoralizing series to price because yeah. that's, that's all it's based on. And Power Girl as well, or Catwoman, yeah. Spider-Man. You, you know where he kind of, I think, rose to power was Playboy. that old Justice League series. The Keith Giffen Justice League was his first real monthly series. I've also been slowly going through Hellboy starting at the very beginning and I'm kind of nearing the end of the first library edition of that and I just think it's fucking awesome. Justin I think has read all of it and he talks about it a lot so I finally thought I would go for it and it's really really cool. So if you haven't read Hellboy stuff it's a pretty pretty incredible. The only thing disappointment I had with this issue is that I went into it thinking this was the beginning of the next BPRD arc mm. and I got to the end I was like oh it's a one shot crap. <laughs> yeah, I think Adam but it was great. Put out one shots. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he basically just did twenty two covers. Yeah, in this yeah. issue. Yeah, I give it an eight point five. Yeah, I, I give it an yeah. eight. Eight point five, maybe even a nine. Whoa. I'll, I'll Edging give it a, towards that. Gooey I'll duck. It, I'll give it a nine. <laughs> I can't wait to see where Roman goos tonight. I'll give it nine wives. <laughs> Oh, you good guy, you. Oh, I'm going uh, nine also. Nine, nine, you're going nine? Now, fuck yeah. Okay, it's getting yeah. gooey. Roman, what, or Django, sorry, what'd you say? Uh, I think I said an eight. Nice. I don't know. Um, I can't remember if I said that we only find them when they're dead. Number three is next, or if Taskmaster is next. Uh, I don't remember either, but do, do we only do the find dead them one. when they're dead? I read We Only Find Them When They're Dead, number three, by Al Ewing and an artist I don't like, Simone DeMeo. Um, I had, I, I said this while pulling, I was like, this is the issue that's going to figure out if I keep reading this book. And then totally unprompted, Justin said essentially the same thing was like, I'm going to read this book, but this is kind of the issue where I decide if I want to be reading this book or not, because I've never, I've never been like so frustrated at a book's art before mm -hmm. it. And it's the same problem that I've had with issues one and two, every page, even if I sh looked at these pages with a flashlight, I wouldn't be able to look at, they're so dark and there is lights everywhere and you can't see people and you can't see places. It's just dark rooms and sound effects. And it's just, 
so frustrating from the viewpoint of like for me who wants to like critically look at things and just like is this good storytelling it's really really bad storytelling from an art perspective but the art looks really cool but it's very confusing i don't like any of the characters because i've never gotten to know any of these characters because it's all just dark rooms with shadowy shots of half of their face from uncouth angles and it's just like um style over substance to the nth degree and I was like halfway through it and I was like, yeah, I'm done with this book. But then they like come out of a, they're in warp speed and they drop out of warp speed because there's something with a large gravitational pull and it's another one of these dead angels and it's huge and they show up on it and they're alone in space. I'm like, well, this is a cool scene. And they start to like look at it and then it like opens its eyes up and its mouth up and light shoots out and that's very cool. No, oh, they then, finally get some light. It's, I don't know. I, it's frustrating because there's like a port, part of this story that I think is really cool. And, but it's like, and it, so that part is really cool. There's like the angels and how, like what is going on with them. And at one point it's like, they, like they find this other angel that's come to our reality. And they're like, it's like for them to exist within our reality, something has to be taken out of them because they can't exist in our space. And I was like, well, that's a really cool idea about like dimensionality and that like the, a thing can't exist, you know, like a three dimensional thing going through a two dimensional space just appears as a line because there's no volume to it. It was a cool idea. The idea that these things are, you know, almost three dimensional representations of this larger thing loved that but it's just way too hard to get what i want out of this story so like frustratingly i thought i would know after this issue and i'm gonna go for another issue but the art i think is just like someone needs to talk to these people and just be like dude you've got to like read a comic this isn't all deviant art like this isn't yeah i would love to i got i got i got morgan's number but it's al ewing and it's hard sci-fi Al Ewing. So he's built a really cool world and portions of it are really, really awesome. But then we're lost in the weeds of some of it a little bit. Justin said it best where he's like, if it's not good after this issue, I'm going to drop off. And then in seven months, someone's going to be like, dude, this book has gotten so good. You have to read it. And I think he's right. Al Ewing does that. But I, I, I really think that as cool as the art looks, it's massively suffering because this person just, I don't, it just seems like they don't read comics taskmaster um Didn't this read is uh from marvel comics and any minute now i'll find the credits page was it ethan Sachs? You last page jed mckay jed, jed mckay yeah alessandro vitti and guru effects that's what i thought i i looked at it and i was like i don't know that name i don't know that name i don't care who the colorist is if i don't know the other two names and i don't care about taskmaster and then i read it and i kind of liked it i thought it was, it was a pretty good comic he did black cat it's it's a little funnier than i would have expected like taskmaster is pretty flippant the whole time and i don't know a whole lot about the character but i got the feeling that that's probably not how he normally is do, do, do you guys roman and colette do you know i've only ever read taskmaster when he shows up in one issue of a series i'm reading to be the one issue villain that somehow gets defeated even though he's supposed to be so perfect at fighting right and like he always felt kind of arch villainy to me yeah and i think i think he's been kind of more of a a quipster since uh i think a next nick spencer series where okay did he write the ant-man series the Irredeemable Ant-Man? Uh, no. That was Kirkman. Robert Kirkman wrote Irredeemable Ant-Man. Oh. I was thinking, well, I was thinking it was either that series or a Nick Spencer series where he was teamed up with somebody and then he was kind of jokey 
But before that, yeah, like when he first appeared in Avengers and stuff, he never cracked a joke. I don't even know if he spoke very often. Because, yeah, he's supposed to be like the, you know, Marvel version of, of Deathstroke before Deadpool showed up. Right. And in, in this one, he's playing golf with some rich asshole uh, as a caddy. And Bullseye is the caddy for the, the other guy. And they're... Um, like they're supposed to be bodyguards for this guy and somebody shows up to kill taskmaster and he has a mysterious um, benefactor who tells him where to meet him to, to escape the golf course. And he meets him there. It turns out to be Nick Fury. turns out that he's being chased by black widow because um, it seems like uh, Maria Hill has been murdered by taskmaster. But uh, Nick, Nick knows that's not the case. And uh, in order to prove it, they, he, he needs Taskmaster to mimic down, down to the smallest detail, mimic three different people's movements and mannerisms, including some people that are going to be hard to find. And that's, that's kind of the, the, the adventure that they're setting up here. Um, yeah, I, I, didn't, I had very low expectations here. And other than the weirdly... Like the bizarrely short legs on a lot of the. Scenes. I was just gonna ask, how were the leg proportions throughout they the whole thing? They were terrible, inconsistent, really? and okay. uh, like the in one panel, Taskmaster's legs are too short and Bullseye's legs are too long. So like you don't even know where Bullseye's legs end up. up I there. think moving Post forward crush. from here on out, we've got to give a, a score for the book and then a score for leg leg consistently, leg uh, continuity. I mean, it was just it. it was just that second page where I noticed anything wrong with the legs. And I forgot about it until Django started making those, all those leg references. Like, What's he talking about? What was wrong with Taskmaster? <laughs> his, his, you, know what, you know what Taskmaster is short for? His wee little legs. Uh, <laughs> mm. But I can tell you hated this comic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I can feel your disdain through Zoom. I, um, yeah, I really did. <laughs> I um I didn't even notice the leg discrepancy because I just the cover has got this like gritty feel and then the first page is all like dark and bloody and whatnot and then it's then he's playing golf they're playing golf because they have to help these rich guys with their golf like they're not even bodyguards they're there because they're both really good at th- at shooting or doing whatever they need to do so they're there they're yeah. being paid yeah. to help these guys win at golf bullseye and I, taskmaster that makes sense yeah, yeah and i was just like okay i didn't realize that i was reading a Deadpool book with Taskmaster in place, but not I, just the whole every page. I just was like, why am I reading this? Yeah, and it, yeah, and it didn't even make sense really to me because I was like, like Bullseye says, well, I can't golf for you. So what good does their aiming abilities do these two guys that don't have their abilities? Out of touch, rich white assholes, I guess. I That's did why. enjoy looking through this and seeing all that this was clearly printed at the beginning of the, like there's advertisements oh, yeah. for Empire. unveiling oh, yeah. april 2020 <laughs> yeah. and there's you know convention advertisements right this here. was supposed to come out in march of last year and like, now it's a king and black tie-in oh god marvel <laughs> so what was everyone's scores that, on this good good fest that's funny you i'm glad you read those his credits because that's why i his name was vaguely familiar to me because i really like the black cat series but it okay. but you know it's a humor series. 
Yeah, I, th I think I would give this a solid six and a half. Maybe a seven, six and Ooh. a half. Ooh. Yeah, I, I'd, I'd give it a six. I'd give it a six and a half. I mean, mm -hmm. I did, like Colette, I expected it to be something else from the cover on the first page, but it did make me laugh. I mean, you know, I thought his stuff about, you know, he beat the Red Skull in a best skull costume contest, you know, things like that I thought were pretty funny. He has an amazing costume. I almost expected oh, yeah. him to take off his mask and reveal that he was Deadpool. It was, it was that kind of dumb, dumb gags, but it appealed yeah. to me when I read it. Yeah, and I like Fury's reason for recruiting him. That, that was pretty clever. Mm -hmm. Give us that. Give us that negative gooey duck, Colette. <laughs> and Colette, is there an anti-gooey duck? Uh, I'm going to give it a four and a half. Pretty good. Like, I read the whole thing. Everybody had <laughs> legs. It's a comic book. <laughs> had, I could, yeah, you know, I wasn't yelling at the book as I was reading it, which I have done. Um, but... Yeah, that might be the worst score I've given something on this. <laughs> I don't even know if it deserves that. I just, yeah, I don't know. It was stupid. I just can't believe that we're about to talk about <clears throat> like a Lovecraftian mystery book from a smaller publisher that Roman didn't read. That's because we didn't have enough. All of us, the three of us had this book and not you. Roman, I, I only ordered always three. walk a comic the five blocks to your house. Well, that was the first reason on Tuesday. And by Tuesday night, I'd forgotten that it existed. So otherwise I would have asked you. <laughs> so this is Miskatonic by Aftershock. Mark Sable and Giorgio Pontrelli. That's right. Mark Sable. Didn't, wasn't, wasn't he a sword guy? Wasn't he like a swashbuckling from, Sable? From first comics. Swords? first comics it was john sable something. john sable yeah 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 um who the hell's mark sable well, he, wrote he wrote cyborg and god killers and has hazed and graveyard of empires oh cool <laughs> what'd you think of this one um i want roman to make me like it it you know what it reminded <laughs> me of was like somebody who's not as good at writing who read Neonomicon mm -hmm. and followed up on Neonomicon because it felt like a bad beginning of Neonomicon, which Alan Moore, Jason Burroughs did. It's actually a really good, you know, very Lovecraftian uh, avatar horror book. This like felt Providence. Providence yeah. level slow. I haven't read Providence, but Neonomicon, you know, is, is a shorter thing that I was able to get my teeth in and actually read. And this one, it's got frog people. It's got, um, you know what, though? I did not read... I'm sorry, Roman. It ends with this next issue thing, and then after that, it's got pages of text. And I didn't realize that because it, oh, I it had... That. It's got, like, police... This is a... Yeah, um, you hear Roman's boner just now? It, just, like, <laughs> it was audible. There's, right, a lady, right, there's a lady who's got maybe some... We don't know it all yet, but some Lovecraftian aspects to her, and she works for the government, and it's at this time where they're trying to like get her as a lady out of it, but she kind of blackmails somebody into getting her job, and he go not black, but he's just like uh, not blackmails, but just like uh, the who is the person? It's like, Jagger Hoover. Yeah, Hoover Wood Woodrow or Hoover or somebody, but um, he's trying to fire her, and then she's like, "Well, how about all this picture of you and these limbs and everything?" Anyway, so he doesn't fire her and he sends her away to go investigate some murders. She gets teamed up with a partner. He had something happen in his past that seems to have some Lovecraftian overtones and they're exploring a mystery around some murders in this town and there's frog people because somebody got blown up and then there's a bunch of KKK looking frog people 
and they say and Innsmouth. It, um, and they say Innsmouth, and they say Dagen, and they say Arkham, and they say all sorts of these things. I maybe I yeah. missed some stuff there, but that was the kind of like vague summary of it. Yeah, this felt like like I really liked the premise, and I would if someone had told me the plot of this book, I would have been super excited to read it. But the actual execution felt so much like. Okay, and so now I'm two pages in and I need to introduce this concept. And so this is a, a, a phrasing device to be able to put, to introduce this character's motivations. And you can I can see the bones of the horror story. Yeah, and then they would make these jumps. You'd turn the page and I'd have to flip back thinking that I'd skipped a page somehow because mm -hmm. all of a sudden they're in a new scene, but there's no, nothing to help you with that transition. And I just got, she... You know the scene in the beginning with her and hoover like makes her out to be this like i can hold my own badass and then she's just kind of subservient in the second various, half yeah kind of just flopping around making mistakes the whole rest of the book and doesn't seem to just like oh the director doesn't want us doing that now oh that's not policy just like it was like what uh, two different characters from the first two pages through the rest of the book and just yeah it felt kind of amateur which i feel bad saying because but i just yeah i really wanted to like it jango you're the aftershock man i am the aftershock man i read this because i thought surely jango will read this because it's an aftershock book i surely surely roman will read it because it's I a read lovecraftian book and like i almost called colette cthulhu um colette and i <laughs> you know will just well. sort of like read the things that we assume these counterparts of ours are going to read it has a jeremy hahn cover yeah and you know <laughs> honestly the, the the description of it and the cover are what caused me to order three for the store but aftershock it's like if you order 15 it's returnable and i haven't sold more than four or five copies of an aftershock book in like a year so so I don't reach for returnability on their books. This is that inside retail insight mm -hmm. for anybody who, who likes it. But Welcome to retail. I, I was trying to think of a, a drop. Retail drop. Retail corner. Get in here. We're talking about business. That's actually really boring, even though this intro sounds hot. Um, but yeah, if you order 10 to 15 Aftershock books, it's returnable. But um, places like Boom or Image, if you just order any of it, it's returnable, which is way cooler than making me order 15. Because you know what? Out of spite, I'm like, you know what? Fuck you. I'm not going to sell 15. And if you make better books, I will. But they do make good books sometimes. That's the thing. It's hard. They, they do. Some of their books are really, really good. But yeah. they, their output is pretty large. And there's a lot. I, I would say that the really large hit rate is probably like 15%. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, really, I do read a whole lot of Aftershock books. And I think that they're, on balance, really solid. This one was not a hit for me. And that's, that's a um, bummer because the next one. You read like all Aftershock books and I don't because they're not always hits for me. And now I've taken a risk and it wasn't a hit and it probably <laughs> strengthens my resolve that like, I don't know about these. I, I had a really hard time with the art. And like Colette said, there were a couple times that I had to flip back a page to see if I'd skipped a page because mm -hmm. the, the scene transitions were a page turn and not not very well marked or defined. Mm -hmm. um, and the action, th things happened between the panels that I wish I had seen mm -hmm. in motion. 
um, people showed up and, and people were in new places and things just didn't quite jive for me. Um, and I think Cthulian horror is a really hard thing because it's got to be kind of a slow, boring boil. And it should be um, sort of a, a story about little things that drive you mad until the big thing shows up and drives you super mad quickly. Mm -hmm. And that is a hard trick with pacing. And I thought that Providence did a really good job of it. I thought that Neonomicon did a really good job I of think, it. I think having not read Providence, I think Neonomicon was a really stellar Lovecraftian story told by an amazing writer. Because um, it's like police procedural and a little bit boring and, and kind of heady until it suddenly isn't. And then the horror just ratchets up and up and up and up. Mm -hmm. And this one, this one felt a little bit like um, Warren Police. When when Warren I think it's Police, pronounced War in Peace. War no, in a, Peace. He's, he's a he's an artist who took over um, the Sandman. What what was the Sandman series, Roman? So he was just Sandman. Old Which Sandman. Which one? like the Wesley Dodds Sandman Mystery Theater. Oh, Sandman Mystery Theater, yeah. And when Warren Police took that one over, I was like, I don't think I can keep reading this because I, I can't grok the art very well. And that's how I kind of felt about this. It it might have it might have been rescued by slightly different art. I, I agree. And I you know, it's one of those things that I do think Roman, I think if you read it, you would have maybe a little bit more patience for this. Cause I think you're, I would have read the back matter for starters. Well, he would have read the back matter for sure. <laughs> I also just think that of all the people I know, I think you're the most steeped in Lovecraftian ideology. Um, so I do think there's maybe some stuff to appreciate here. It is pretty Lovecraftian, which I didn't realize at all at first. And then I can't remember if it was Django or Roman on Tuesday. It was like, Ooh, Lovecraft. And I was like, well, I do really like attempts at Lovecraft, but it's basically the first five issues of, Providence smashed into one. Okay. It moves fast. Um, yeah, I was but really I, surprised how fast we started seeing the the creatures and things. Like. After Sean versus Avatar. The webbed hand that comes out after her when she jumps out of the window, I thought that was really good. Like that, mm -hmm. not quite a jump scare, but um, it made me a little more tenser. Mm -hmm. Like a I bidet. I the dream with this like pretend Geiger. Mm, it was so Geiger. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know, Roman. If it's knockoff Geiger, I still like it. I've got a copy. I'll make sure and get to you. Um, okay. Yeah, I'll I'll still read it, even though it sounds like it's not very good. But it's I'm not curious. great. But I think I think if anyone could find some gem in it, it would be you. I really was sort of uh, anticipating hearing your thoughts on it at the end of it. So I would give it a six. <clears throat> not bad, but not great. Or, That's exactly what I was thinking. Not bad, but not good, but proficient, I'll perfectly acceptable. Probably read the next one just to see if it stabilizes a little bit. I won't. Yeah, I know. Well, I give it a five. Roman? Um, I'll give it an anticip anticipatory three, because I'll always read anything with some 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 creatures from Dagon. Did you did you think that Bendis wrote this? You're not gonna <laughs> give it a three. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to come back and tell us You're all give it a seven why <laughs> we were totally missing out and you know, we got no. you all like pessimistic about it, but it's actually such a really fun book. Like, yeah, there's problems with it. I would give that last one the score that I gave it, but in terms of like leg ratios, actually pretty consistent. I'm going to give it an 
6.0 on leg consistency land ratios. Colette, Django, what do you guys think on that? I'm right there with you. Right there with me? Uh, you know, I just, I hate to be the, uh, the constant, um, you've got a better eye for that. uh, You've got a better eye. I mean, if anyone knows what waddling looks like, it feels like it's the lady who did it for nine months. Uh, Roman Bendis. (laughs) I'm, uh, yeah, I gotta say I'm going to go with the two. Yeah, I just, I don't get what you guys oh, That is a sub-Roman Bendis. Wow. Wow, those leg ratios are <laughs> bad in your eyes. So I'm excited to see what you put the rest of these things. But my before we get to the rest basically of basically my ankle. <laughs> <laughs> or my, my knee is my hip. I don't know. I'm just, I got, I'm missing something. I mean, I um, honestly lost track of what we were joking about about three minutes ago. I just so like that just... it too was what you pooped out. Yep. Um, so Roman, you read a little bit of that resident alien. Oh, no, Django's showing me Taskmaster short again. You know what makes Taskmaster show short? His wee little legs. Did I do it right? Did I do it right, Django? Oh, that's a okay. good joke. Oh um, God, where'd you hear that? My buddy Django. My buddy Django oh, God, gets me I the good know ones. That guy. <laughs> he's not that great. I think he's great. Yeah, I think I, he's I don't, great. I don't even get it. <laughs> Roman, you read Resident Alien, and yeah. that is a series that came out a while ago and existed for a while. I forget who the writer is, um, but it's. Uh, I think Peter being, Hogan. I think it's being. There's some like television show maybe or something Django does that sound right it's now a sci-fi original series there we go so it'll make it one season and it'll get a good fan base and then they'll cancel it before anyone can really get into it or a bunch of the people that are on the tv show will convert to a sex cult and get brands (laughs) and uh (laughs) a little bit of that uh Battlestar Galactica the vow humor coming your way um but I want to hear about Resident Alien um, having never have you read any of the original i don't think so i mean yeah mm, this is brave this is a character that's been around brave, man. uh he's an alien trapped on earth and there's been actually according to the back the back matter here there's been i think one omnibus so far so there's been like two or three previous resident alien series um i know bob carter got them oh yeah uh, bob <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. yeah who does is it dark horse uh it's dark horse it's it's always been peter hogan and steve parkhouse and chris writer, o'halloran and writer, uh, writer and artist Nick um, Roche. uh no it's just these two guys sorry that's the scarant hood oh okay. the, the guys He's who did t- time and vine <laughs> time and alien time and alien and actually the, and so this arc is called resident alien your rides here um and he's an alien that is is living on Earth. He's in disguise, but all his close friends know he's an alien. And it's some fictional town in Washington State. And this opens up with there's a there's a mystery. Somebody uh, there's been a shooter from a rooftop, but it wasn't anything fatal because the guy was using a BB gun. And, you know, it's a small town, so this is a big deal. Um, so there's a mystery that starts things off, and our resident alien buddy, whose name is Harry, I don't know if that's like his alien name, but but yeah, he gets back in town from a trip. And the funny thing with the art is, uh, and since I've never read this before, I don't know, he's drawn as an alien, a kind of purpley gray, bald, pointy-eared alien with with black eyes. And I don't know if that's how he looks to everybody or if that's just how he looks to his friends or if maybe... I, I think that's how he looks to you. 
okay, yeah, and everybody else sees him as human? I think. Okay. That, uh, yeah, I was thinking it must be one of those because nobody's reacting to the way he looks. And the issue is just kind of about introducing his friends and relationships there. There's one person, a woman there that uh, seems like she's got the hots for him, but he's oblivious because he doesn't understand, you know, human emotions. He's still trying to figure all that out. But it was a pretty good issue. I like the characters. I like the uh, the setup, the world building here. Um, there's a couple mysteries actually that kind of pop up and also kind of a subplot that he's thinking about possibly going home or there's maybe what looks like the hints of a prophecy coming up of some kind that maybe he might have to leave. Mysterious character show up. And one of his friends is indigenous and she has, usually when she's asleep, sometimes her father comes and visit her, visits her in this dream sequence vision thing and he's giving her some information and it's beautifully drawn. There's just some gorgeous purple night sky, full moon panels and he's warning her about things to come. So that the cover is like the, the resident alien with a green background and a totem pole, right? Yeah. 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 It there's looks a, there's like an owl. Yeah. And when I saw it, it looks kind of like an off tone scalped cover. Um, like he's, he's in that button up shirt, like uh, the main bad guy from scalped has, it just looked like fan art for scalped to me. Was it better than that? <laughs> I, I could see that, I guess. Um, yeah, I, I think so. I mean, it's it's pretty basic art, but the but there's actually quite a lot of simple detail in the faces, and you know, it's got backgrounds, which that's one of my pet peeves is when like Sean Murphy or somebody or doesn't draw or Jock doesn't draw backgrounds. This has all the backgrounds, so it automatically puts it above those artists for me okay okay roman can you imagine how hard it would be to look at a page of jocks with jock style backgrounds and jock style people it would look like a like a four-year-old had been given a pencil and told to make it like just <laughs> scribble all over this whole comic yeah yeah that 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 would be hard and there was a book from last week that had amazing backgrounds. I meant to talk about it, and I don't remember what it was, and I didn't. Was it Marvel, DC, Image, Dark Horse? I think it was Was Marvel. it Cutting Edge? It was, <laughs> it was an artist where I was like, man, I'm so impressed to see how many backgrounds are in this issue. Um, <laughs> sorry, continue. What do you give Resident Alien Series 7 number one? Is that what this is? Series seven? Wow. Yeah. I, so I just looked it up. It's it's been like twenty one or something issues. It's been a bunch of mini series, and they've either been three or four issues per mini series. And they've been like, I think it started as Dark Horse Presents, but there's been a bunch of it, and they've been generally three or four issue mini series. So maybe this is the seventh of those. Sounds wow. Like. Wow. This is this is um, their sixth, actually. Yeah. Your rides here. I am I'm curious too because apparently, I mean, this guy's an alien. But he has nothing, no discernible powers or abilities or anything. He's just an alien here on Earth. <laughs> Bummer. Which I think is interesting. He's not, you know, like a Martian Manhunter or something. Um, I give it. I give it a uh, six and a half. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll read the next one. Yeah, but will you read the previous five series? That's the real question. No, no, not unless I this series ends and I'm like, holy crap, this is the most amazing thing ever. And then I'll read them all. Would you read the first one? The first series? Yeah. 
Yeah, and I think I I think I read at least a few issues of it back in the day. I just well, you probably have them at your house. Don't know if I ever finished it. How so were let's the talk legs. <laughs> how were the legs? That's a super good point. I didn't even think about that. It's a real. Question, how were the legs, but... Roman? Yeah, the ratio. Oh, I, I didn't know that was a real question. No, it's real. Was, we're doing it on every just... book from here on out. Oh, okay. I thought he was just making the leg thing again. Uh... <laughs> I, I get it. I get it. I get it. At some point, you I, have I to buy into that... some of them, though. Uh, I don't. I didn't really apply the leg ratio thing because he's an alien. Maybe he has really short legs naturally. Totally. Will you play fair. the game. Oh wait, totally never mind. Fair. Sorry. Django says it's fair. Cheating son of a bitch. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. <laughs> um. Hey, Django. I knew if I did it long enough, you'd have to hop on board, Jeff. I got. I hopped on board right when you started it, dude. I think if we look at the history of this podcast, Jeff was the one who came up with the idea of we need to do it for all of our books moving forward. So I'm on board, and I will play your games forever and always. Speaking of legs, Seven Secrets number four. Tom Taylor, Danielle Di Nicuello, and Walter Beaumonte. Boom Studios. Seven Secrets. Protagonists. Villains. Heroes. Family. Intrigue. Boards. Guns. Is it just Django and I reading this? Not Colette? Me. Colette. Done. Colette. Should I be reading it? I Did just like Tom Taylor? I just need you on the Tom Taylor train. I think that you're gonna like the Tom Taylor train. I think the water is like not pee, but as warm as pee. Imagine getting in a hot tub filled with pee, but being like, oh wait, this is actually just water. It's like that. It looks like it, it. He calls it the Tom Taylor train, mm-hmm. but it and and you're gonna when you hop on it, you're gonna think that you're just getting a piggyback ride from Jeff and me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, uh-huh. But it is a train. Trust us. Whether it's deceased, <laughs> whether it's Seven Secrets, whether it's one of the other books I know are out there that we read and love, or the Spider-Man books that he did. He he's yep. he's phenomenal. Spider bite. I read his uh most of his Wolverine, his all new Wolverine run. Oh, holy shit. Django, that too. you did. Started good. Early, but I loved it. We I haven't got... realized that was Tom Taylor, but from the get go, Django was like, "No, I really like this. Is just a really good superhero comic." Holy yeah. shit, dude! He's had your number for years. I'm walking Django. down to the store as soon as we're done here. I'm walking down to the store, and I'm going to get all of the Injustice comics. I'm gonna He's going to waddle his way <laughs> down there. Um, yeah, I uh, I missed out on deceased, and I like it was one of those like I don't like zombies. I'm not reading like I'm not I don't have enough time, and then I just started hearing just when I'd gotten too much of it had come out that it was easy to get caught up on. Started hearing people actually station. saying how good it was. I hadn't heard a peep about it, and then like you know, eight issues later of his whole run of it, it was like. Aren't you reading this? This is amazing. I was like, no, because none of you fucking told me to. <laughs> so, so this book is very good, and some good things happen in it to move this overall plot forward. But what I was thinking while I was reading this was <clears> that <throat> I just read Grant Morrison's Green Lantern season two, number nine, and <sighs> I just read a bunch of Hickman's Ten of Swords books. Mm. And my two favorite writers are putting out things that I don't really like right now. Mm-hmm. And Tom Taylor is getting you horky. It's just crazy that Hickman and Morrison are putting out books right now, and they are not the books that I'm loving as much as like Seven Secrets and Firepower and a couple other things. Yeah, this one did that classic Tom Taylor thing where four pages in, I was like, "Okay, you're gonna you're gonna miss me. I'm gonna dodge any feelings on this one." And then by the end, I was like, "Oh, 
Well, I really care about these characters I didn't give a shit about before. And holy fuck, that was an awesome plan that you told us about over the course of two pages. I would say a, a portion of it feels like really good anime. And I think that might be contributed by the art. So I can see like people looking at this and maybe being like, this isn't super exciting to me because it That's does. Why it's literally the last book I read every single time it comes out. And I never regret reading it, but it's the, it's the anime that kind of pushes me away. It's got an anime vibe, mostly in the art. The writing is very Western, but Django, the scene with the hand and the arrow is so good. Awesome. It's, you know, we won't spend way too much time on it because I really do. I think I would, I would, I mean, I would love for Colette and Roman to read this book. I think it's really, really great. Yeah. Give this one, you know, 8.5 at least. I, this book, this issue was a very good issue of it. It was not the best issue of it, but it's, it's just like even a, a ligament connective issue of this series is awesome. He, He's a phenomenal writer, dude. He's phenomenal. He I'm going to give it a seven and a half. Uh, I wasn't a puddle of tears at any point. Fix your shit. And now it's time for punch butt. <laughs> <laughs> Punchline number one, Jimmy T.I.V. Somebody whose last name is Johns. Did Jeff It's not Johns Jeff. It's not this? Jeff. No, it's not, not Jeff. <clears throat> I'm Jeff. You're Jeff. <laughs> you are the Jeff. Jeff. Um, illustrated <laughs> by oh, Andolfo Merca. Okay, so it's written by Jimmy TIV and Sam Johns with art by Merca Andolfo, colors by Romulo Fijardo Jr. Nice, I would not have guessed that this was Merca Andolfo art. Looking at it, uh, flipping through again, maybe if you had given me a list of six people, I might have been able to choose her out of that. Uh, this tells like another kind of secret host origin of Punchline where she's kind of, we're, we're getting her point of view on a bunch of Joker stuff and how he inspired her through a podcast that she made, which I really identified with. I don't know if you know this, but I'm on a couple of podcasts and I really <laughs> like podcasts. Uh, but she's talking about how she became aware of the Joker and, what inspired her about the Joker. And um, meanwhile, Harper, who is Bluebird, I think created by- Scott Snyder. Scott mm-hmm. Snyder, right? There's some sort of subplot happening with Bluebird. And- uh, hmm, That's interesting. I don't know. It, it feels to me like in the post Joker War era of Batman, we're getting a lot of punchline talking about how she did bad things and is in trouble. And it's getting less and less interesting to me. Am I the only one that read this? No, I read no, it. No, I read it. Okay. What'd you guys think? It, it was <laughs> This is Roman's gooey duck. I can tell. We're, it, we're no, no, no. We're <laughs> on fuel. No, the opposite <laughs> the opposite of that. This was the book this week that it was hard for me to finish. Hmm. Colette? Uh, I, about halfway through, I lost interest. <laughs> oh, I knew we were probably going to talk about it tonight, so I made myself <laughs> read this. Um, yeah. Oof. It was not a book for me. Um, <laughs> I don't know if it was bad or not, but just everything about it just kind of pissed me off. Um <laughs> I haven't 
been exposed to much of punchline but i had just kind of an instinct that i'm like that's not a character that's for me and this was a solid confirmation that no 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 and just oh i don't know i i don't want to just sit here and rant about all the things that annoyed me about it but kind of like they took all the parts about harley quinn that we don't like and just put them into punchline yeah took anything right. redeeming and relatable or cool costumey. Yeah. I just, it was this whole like, oh, look at, I'm young. I've had some experiences, but I think, I think I've really, I, I'm so smart and I figured it all out and, and I'm doing all this stuff. And she like this whole, just like, oh, I'm so brilliant for thinking all this stuff, but she just seems so much like she knows so little about anything that she thinks she's figured it out because she doesn't know what she doesn't know and how much more there is out (laughs) there. And just like Harper's brother who gets all caught up in this and that whole like, it felt like they were trying to like explain the rise of Trumpism through- Her brother almost like does a QAnon- yeah it's just this like i'm just so desperate to feel brilliant and and uh different than everybody else than all the sheep um kind of a thing but it was just oh it's just so heavy-handed and so just gross characters and I was relieved that, like, oh, look, her boobs aren't just fucking gigantic in every frame. And then, like, towards the end, where (laughs) is it? There's a fucking panel that's the bottom half of her face with tears streaming down and just her tits as giant as possible. Oh, yeah. Her introduction, everything about it is just like, fuck you. You can draw a hot chick. You can make her have a giant rack and it not just be, like... There is no soul in this character. Also, this is... how is, I don't know, how are people yeah. not having more of an issue with that character? Like, that, that is some bad writing, just, like, problematic woman is victim. Like, she just celebratizes a murderer, so she's, I don't know. That seems like... Are you talking about Harley? Yeah. I just, it felt to me, too, like, this is, oh, we've been doing a really big push to teach people to not idealize Joker and Harley's relationship. They've basically taken a kind of a gullible young girl with emotional problems and turned her into a villain with no real motivation other than she's crazy and fucked up. And it's the whole thing's just meh. Jimmy TIV, right yeah. better. And it's fun. Yeah, and it's funny. I like or less. I, I can't remember what right the title what the title was now, but he's got I don't care for his writing like his for the DC stuff. Right. Yeah. yeah I don't mm-hmm. care for his writing for the DC, but his independent stuff, that's pretty good. But Department mm-hmm. of Truth was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Department of Truth. Thank you. That's the one I was trying to. And think. Wind was yep, good too. Yep. 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 Oh, yep, yep. Yeah. You know, and, and something else that bugged me in this, because I haven't been reading Batman lately and I guess it, I'm guessing it happened because of Rebirth. But when did Leslie Tompkins become a sexy middle aged woman? Yeah. I was wondering that too. He's supposed to be a senior citizen or dead. <laughs> yeah. Of old age. <laughs> well, that, that kept uh, on throwing me off. After this discussion, I'm going to give this a five. I'm going to give it less than that. I'm going to give it a four. 
yeah i i feel like the the construction of the comic probably deserves a higher score than i'm giving it but i just really hate that this is the direction that the batman universe is going in and that this is i don't know shit that they're putting out there is something to be everybody to be excited about and i really really makes me angry i'm gonna yeah i'm gonna go with a four it's and just legs? gross it's just not great it was the leg stuff yeah not great there's not even a whole lot of legs to look at in here but oh no no there's the too much leg are... you think there's too much leg that's too long of a leg for her body that's a long leg it's a long ass leg yeah that's she's a long got ass. her and she's got soft long. knees she's got soft knees that clown's legs are too short her legs are too long we got hey janko can i talk to you for a second yeah yeah, you have, yeah. One to ten, how awake are you? Oh, God. Does everybody have their swords or is it daddy nappy time? Dude, <laughs> check this out. Last week, as oh, I mentioned on the podcast, swords. Marauders 14 came out last week. and I forgot to grab it. There was a bunch of books. I also forgot to grab Hellblazer. I, I was like, you know what? The next issue of Marauders, Excalibur, and Wolverine all came out this week. So you know what? I bet I could skip that issue of Marauders. So I opened up this issue of Marauders from this week go to the the previously on and it says after logan murdered saturnine in her own home <laughs> chaos chaos interrupted so we've spent at this point 13 issues gathering swords in other world and then sitting down to dinner and dinner was issue 40 and i missed that and i was like all right well i fucking guess that's pretty important so i'll go back and read that issue so i go back and I read that issue, and it's actually kind of a charming Marauders 14. It's just like a, kind of making fun of dinner parties. That one was actually pretty fun, but at the very end of it, the very end, Wolverine stabs Saturnine, the lady who's been orchestrating this whole, it needs to be a tournament, and it needs to be a 22-issue event and not like four issues because I'm a fucking dumbass, and this doesn't need to be 22 issues. Anyway, that's I frustrating. Swords, bub. So I, I read that whole fucking issue, and then I start Marauders 15 from this week, and Django... I was livid as I read this, and I was thinking about you. Check this out. This is the introduction to this. This is the introduction. This is the previously on. And in, in reality, and previously, we we're all having dinner, and then Wolverine stabs Saturnine. This is where we start. After Logan murdered Saturnine in her own home, chaos erupted. A fierce three-way battle between the forces of Saturnine, Krakoa, and Arako sent the Starlight Citadel plummeting from the clouds. Magic managed to teleport the Krakoans home as the cacophony of the palace shattering below the reverberation in their ears. With the external gate closed, arguments began anew in the quiet council. If anything was allowed in other world, it was a short row, blah, blah, blah. For three days and nights, the mutants waged war upon the other. The Iraqi were reinforced constantly from the gate, but the Krakoans didn't blah, blah, blah. A telepathic mind bomb was hauled through the gate and detonated. Hundreds of mutants, higher brain mutants functions were erased from their brains, including Moira X and her no place. Krakoa issued a distress hall. The mountains of corpses turned the... And I was like i've spent 13 fucking issues reading about sword gathering if you're telling me that all of panel. this off panel i'm gonna quit like i if you're telling me all of the good shit happened off panel and you wasted 13 issues gathering swords i'm gonna lose it 
You might like Garth Ennis. I know you've got a sudden giant hole in your writers. Anyway, we learned that all of that was a vision that Saturnine implanted in Wolverine's brain because she sensed he was actually about to murder her and he didn't ever murder her. And so, so we you just have to read that that front matter in order to understand the next that it page. didn't happen. And I thought that, like, was, I thought that was awesome. It's like days of future the, past, boom, in a couple seconds as this he's is standing the best there. Decision I've ever made. It's just like this shit. It, it's it's cool kind of except it's awesome for, it's such an awesome like fuck you to wolverine and you yeah but no roman if that story happened i would love to read it well yeah of course of course but it didn't it was just a trick of saturnines which i thought that was pretty clever <laughs> yeah i think in story it's pretty clever but for the three minutes that i spent thinking that that was actually what they were doing i was like as somebody who's read all of this and been pissed off about just oh, the yeah, direction I, I it's had, taken. I had that thought too, but because it also tricked me, I laughed because I thought, oh, cool, you got me. I it liked was, it. Jeff was pre-bidet <laughs> and post-bidet before he could even read the first panel of this comic. I just, I was like, yeah, that's kind of cool. Although you just wasted 15 minutes of my life because I want to <laughs> read that story and yet... Part of me was excited to be like, I cannot believe you didn't show that. But yeah, let's go forward with that. And I was like, oh no, we're still just fucking stuck in Otherworld with this stupid tournament. And then, Roman, did you read all the subsequent issues? No, and that's the other thing. I thought all oh, that must have all happened in like some, some of the issues I didn't read. So, Okay, so then, so none of that happened. They all just finished eating dinner. And then they're like, okay, Wolverine cool. didn't even kill her? No, no he was no. like, oh, if I kill her, all of this bad stuff's going to happen. And that's bad. So I think, I think... Roman, yeah, I think on one hand, like, that's kind of a clever, like, you shot, you, I think there's a way to have made that joke work with Roman that didn't totally deceive the readers, but, I mean, whatever, I just, it, it's, it's strengthened my opinion that this fucking Ten of Swords book is entirely bloated, and this could be issue three, and it's issue 14. Um, it probably wasn't meant this way, but I took it as a self-satirization of the bloatedness of the of the series yeah it's maybe saturnization in this case that's, ah, you're right of course that's good then we go to excalibur the fights have finally started but they're fucking dumb it's not like people <laughs> fighting to the it's like it's like being a democrat stuck in trump america it's like it's like okay jamie braddock has to fight a bad guy and then the bad guy's sword hits jamie braddock and she just dies and then Wait, in the where, next where, where are you what is that the next is the next fucking issue chapter 15 after chapter 14 excalibur 14 oh, you moved on okay i didn't I, like i, didn't I said read. excalibur um okay and <laughs> this Roger is the only one i read it. it's catch up roman it's fucking in this next issue it's a new tournament but it's got to be cypher he's finally got to fight except for no he has to fight this girl and no, they get married instead. And Saturnine enjoys it so much that Krakoa and Arako, they, they both get a point. So now it's Krakoa 1, Arako 2. And then the next fucking issue, it, the next fucking issue is it starts with magic fighting Porgor Porg, which I like. <laughs> Do they make a dick sword joke when they get married? Sure. Yeah. Okay. It's like Cable's like, ner like sorry, no. Cypher's like nervous about getting married. And he's like, Am I going to get killed? Oh, no, I'm getting married? I've never met this person. I guess I have to. Oh, the vows are good. Okay, cool. So I'm not fighting this person. And then Magic has to fight Pog or Pog. And they're about to start fighting with their swords. And then Saturnine's like, No swords. It's an arm wrestle. And then Pog or Pog what? beats Magic. 
And now the score is Arako 3, Krakoa 1. And then... How many swords have been used? No swords. And then the next battle is fucking Wolverine versus the Summoner. And that, because now that we're in Excalibur, or sorry, Wolverine, and the art is done by Joshua Kassara, who is the Mm X-Force artist who did that Mm -hmm. portion of Wolverine, Black, Blood, and Red that you liked, or Black, black, White, and Red, Roman. Mm -hmm. Um, His art is gorgeous. Yeah, the the art was great. Yeah. Then there's this this great fight sequence. The art is gorgeous. All these different panels. But, like, he's supposed to be fighting Summoner. And then, like, he kills Summoner. And it was like, no, it was a race to the death. So you lost for killing Summoner. Point for Arako. And you're like, none of these fucking, this isn't even, none of these are rules. This is like so a Republican. Calvin Ball. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And it's just like, no swords, Republicans abusing Democrats. There's a cool scene where Wolverine, okay. like, they have to do, like, hey, Wolverine, you have to fight Storm by having a drinking competition. And they have a drinking competition. And then right as they're about to drunkenly kiss, which is awesome, then fucking Saturnine decides, oh, wait, no, you have to go fight this other person. So then, then he has to go be in this three-way fight. And the whole, like, all of it or the odds are stacked against Krakoa. And Arako's got, like, five points. And Krakoa's got two points. And it's very stupid. And it's like, why did we spend 11 issues, like $50 of other people's money, spit writing issues, gathering swords, when it's like, oh, now we're competing, and it's all, it's not fights. It's marriages and dinners and drinking competitions and arm wrestling. It's, it's fucking shameful. Are shameful. you going to write a letter to Jonathan Hickman and CC Marvel? I don't know. Sorry. So that was my summary of it, Colette. You read Wolverine, which is the last one of those there. What did you think? Roman, you read Marauders. Yep. Um, I mean, background. I've been slogging through all of my backlog of x books trying to get even two ten of swords i i have like four issues left that i have to read before i can even, i'm hoping to maybe read some of this before the event is over in three weeks i don't know um, don't but uh i mean that has proven to me how much money i've wasted on a lot of books because i hadn't read them yet but i bought them um like not yeah uh but um I don't know, this Wolverine not knowing any of the things leading up to it, I found to be kind of fun. Like, it wasn't great, but it was kind of like, yeah, you know, it was kind of a fun little, like, oh, these are clearly rigged matches, but they're kind of, there's kind of a humorousness to how it's all going wrong. I think I probably enjoyed it better not having slogged through um, 15 issues before this. I think you're totally right. The the humorous (laughs) is kind of fun, but having like, this is chapter 16. That was chapter 16 where they started showing that like all of this is a farce. And it's like, I wouldn't have spent 15 chapters reading this if this was all a farce. This was supposed to come out a long time ago for the April fool's issues of X-Men. (laughs) <laughs> i believe it sure but then i was on like reddit and somebody was like man people are talking about how ridiculous this story like x-men storyline arc is and i'm like and it, po- it posted a picture of like the x babies written by chris claremont and an alternate future and it was just hmm. like yeah x-men books have always been pretty fucking dumb about this kind of, like in a cool way but it's like at what point was x babies you know, like going to be a legit storyline. Like Like, X-Men Annual 13, I think. They've always done out. And this is basically just huge world building and getting you to know lots of characters. And I bet that they'll come back and be important and you'll feel glad that you read this in a year. But it, it is like, this should not be 22 chapters. And I'm 
pretty like offended that they did it. But it also feels trust. it also feels like it's trying to legitimize all the extra books outside of Hickman's main run or the couple that actually seem to have consequential plots in them. And this is like, no, no, no. See, they all they all do fit together. We're doing this big event where they all fit together. See, they're not just we threw some let someone else do a book and threw a cheap artist at it and are hoping that maybe something will be good but it's it's buck wild roman the, the marauders issue what what After i like spent 15 minutes reading the inside front cover what'd you think <laughs> oh we didn't take 15 minutes roman um, I, <clears throat> that issue like the whole sequence with storm and death i think was phenomenal uh, see, I didn't. I didn't read the only one I read this week was Marauders fifteen. I didn't read those other. Oh, things. sorry, Marauders fourteen was from last week, and that was oh. the one. Yeah, sorry, that's the one where he stabs her at the end. Sorry, so yeah, yeah never mind. Marauders. And and Marauders fourteen actually from last week was very very good. This is a really great conversation between Storm and Death, and the cover has them dancing by Russell Dowderman, and it made me think that there is a world oh. where that issue was illustrated by Dowderman, and it's probably gorgeous. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah, would have been. Yeah, I'm only reading these the issues of the story kind of randomly i'm reading the hickman ones and other ones depending on how many other comics there are that week mm -hmm. and if it's got a cool cover <laughs> um but issue 14 you know or 15 i mean i enjoyed it just fine you know the dinner party had some good moments and you know it was all right <laughs> why i just like the fact that it became a marriage thing was just like why yeah, I have no you idea fucking about that. Dick I, me around, gathering yeah, all these swords. Yeah, I didn't read that issue. Yeah, that all sounds. So there wasn't a single sword fight. <laughs> there was the first one was um, Jamie or sorry uh, Betsy Braddock fighting this bad guy, and they both have swords. And like three panels in, the bad guy hits her sword and cracks her sword, and she dies by basically turning into like stained glass and collapsing on the ground. And that's the only like death or sword fight there's been except for the wolverine uh, one but they yeah wolverine and summoner fight with swords and that's almost like you know he actually says no this isn't even a fight against each other it's against blight spoke which is this reality that they're sent to which is wow. and the art in that is really really cool uh, like mm -hmm. that like wolverine yeah. 16 sorry wolverine 7 chapter 16 is a really cool issue the art is gorgeous and good stuff happens in that but i just think 10 of like this whole 10 of swords thing is just I hate that the Hickman portion of the story has now required other writers to tell it because I do not think his stories work well with other people having an input. Like he draws a map and charts it all out and then to let other people come in and affect it just waters it down and makes it bad. Well, and I don't think he's a very good leader for the team. Like that's pretty clear with all of the disconnected Dawn of X books and how much they're not, well, and also the fucking editors that aren't like, hmm. When I was a kid, I went over to a famous New Orleans drummer's house and he, he had a kid and his kid had like the coolest army figures set, like little, little two inch army figures and terrain and airplanes. And he's like, let's play army. And so we each set up across from each other. We set up our terrain, we set up our airplanes and our tanks and our, our infantry and stuff. And then he's like, Okay, are you ready? I said, yeah. He's like, okay, tick, 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 tick. You have three seconds to move your things or my bomb's going to blow them all up. Tick, 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 tick. <laughs> Boom, I blew up your airplanes and your tanks. 
it sounds a lot like what that fight is like. It's just very like you spent many issues establishing a rule set and then you have now set, thrown that out the window and reframed the paradigm. And yeah. it makes me frustrated that I spent money and time investing in a story paradigm that doesn't matter. But I think the leg ratios were all really, really, really good. So all of them, appropriate height, appropriate leg. That was Even on Wolverine? Because I know he's he's tricky for a lot of people. He's short, but he does it. They do it perfectly. They do it perfectly. Mm -hmm. Nice. Well, congratulations on doing better than Taskmaster on your leg ratio, X of Swords. Man, I just, you know, everyone knows I wanted to love this thing. I've just loved the Hickman stuff. I've made myself love the Hickman stuff, all of this going into this. And I like when the first, very first issue came out, I was like, Django, I don't think that you should read this because I just think you're going to hate it. And then every time I've been reading issues for the last like seven, I've been like, Django would fucking hate this. Like, I don't want to say I told you so because I don't think I told you so. No. But like... I'm in a weird spot because I expected the the story to kind of go down this down this road for you, and that you wouldn't like it. And I expected to feel elation that mm-hmm. you were hating this mm-hmm. story, mm-hmm. and I just feel bad. Yeah. Like it feels yeah. bad to have wanted you to feel bad now. Yeah. And I'm I'm I'd like to apologize for not rubbing your nose in this right now, yeah. for for wanting to rub your nose in it five weeks ago i'm sorry i I jerked off into your sandwich before i gave it to you today (laughs) (laughs) Uh, will you bring me another one tomorrow i gave it a six i give all of it a six no it's probably better than that it's a 7.5 it's it's a mess though it's a mess colette what did you feel about wolverine 7 and roman what did you feel about marauders 15 i give seven a seven Oh, I thought you were going to say more. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'll give Marauders 15 a, I don't know, I'll give it a, seven give sounds it, pretty good. Give it a 15. Yeah. I mean, it was it was an entertaining dinner, dinner party. There was some good dialogue. I've got a couple little quick things I can mention. Can I tell you about um, things in Iron Man number three? Please. Please do. <laughs> do it. Uh, Chris Cantwell was doing this, and it's really interesting because he's not primarily a superhero writer. And the coolest thing in this issue is Tony Stark and Patsy Walker are flying somewhere on a plane and they're having this conversation and Tony's been, you know, doing his usual Tony thing, like worried about who he is and what he represents and his identity since, you know, he, a couple of years ago, he died and came back because he Mm -hmm. was a backup copy of himself, blah, blah, blah. And he's still whining about that. And Patsy Walker, Hellcat, basically dresses him down and tells him, you know, you keep obsessing over this and whining about it. And you're whining about it to me that you got killed and came back all this stuff and how hard that is. Do you remember that, you know, I married this Damon Hellstrom, the son of Satan, which which drove me insane eventually. And then I killed myself and I was in hell and then I came back, but you know, I didn't, I killed myself by choice and I have to live with that in my head every day fighting this battle between you know myself and myself that is always struggling struggling to decide you know was that the right thing to do should should i kill myself again um and it was it's written much better than what i'm saying but it was just a great moment and the way tony reacts he's just stunned 
and doesn't know what to say because no one's ever said that to him and no one's ever written a scene like that in a Marvel comic that and I know nobody's of. ever said that to anybody ever anywhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And when they get to where they're going, she's like, well, thanks. I'll see you when, I'll see you when we need to go out and beat the bad guy. Until and, and then she ditches him and goes to her room and he's like, oh shit, I'm, I'm awful. And it's awesome. <laughs> Colette, what else did you read this week that you wanted to talk about with anybody before we get out of here? Because we don't get to hear from you that often. Oh, well, hopefully we can do this more. Yeah, um, come. We're always here Saturday night. Woohoo. Well, uh, the only other thing worth noting is I read uh, Red Mother Number 10 by Jeremy Hahn and Danny Luckert. And uh, I just Point. I just really like this book. It's one of the first ones, probably the first thing I read usually when a month or weeks it comes out. And it's... It's one of those books that it's easy to read. It doesn't feel, it feels quick and light, but there's actually a lot more layers to the story than you realize at first. And every time there's a moment that I feel like in this one, a, a character shows up that you're like, ah, that seems kind of forced that that character's there. Two pages later, totally explained. And I just think it's a much, uh, a much more solid book than, um, it seems like it's going to be, and it deserves uh, a little more attention than I think it's getting. Uh, especially if you haven't read it yet, it'll probably be a really good read to like sit down and, and read it all at once. Um, and that's I, the same writer as Beauty, is that right? Yeah, he um, Jeremy Hahn usually co-wrote. He co-wrote the Beauty and the Realm. Um, mm -hmm. I think this is this is the first thing I know of him of him doing solidly on his own writing. But uh, yeah, I really like it. It's good. I, and the art's really solid too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's just a good book that I don't think enough people are reading. So there you go. I kind of felt like that about the beauty, like that mm -hmm. it, there, there was more going on in there than, than you really realized at first and that it deserved a bigger audience. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And this one's like, there's this whole through line of puzzles and um, things that start off seeming relatively simple to solve, but get more and more complex as you're going through. Um, mm -hmm. But it just doesn't never feel like you're having to solve a puzzle, even though it is a mystery and pieces are being unveiled. And yeah, it's good. People should read it. I like this issue. Mm. Probably an eight. So there mm -hmm. you go. Next week, it's two of three. We're going to be here hashing it out, getting to the bottom of it, talking about those things that came out last week. We had never seen so many tins on the floor. This week, the table is like, I could support some more weight because there's not a goddamn gooey duck in sight. So they, they listen, the tides go high, the tides go low. And that's why we're here. Four watchers on the wall, always protecting you from the oncoming uh, breeze, I guess, is the word that was anticlimactic that came out there. Those four watchers are Jeff Figley. Watch one of the four watchers. I'm Jacob, another two four watcher. I'm Colette. I watched things at one point and now it's in the past. Watcher. I'm Roman. I, I only watch things when they're dead. And that was Papcast 202. Next was, week is 203, which is the area code for Connecticut. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll be talking about Rorschach, and we'll see you all there. Connecticut, coming for you to dump your butt. Thanks for joining us, Colette. Thanks for having me. Connecticut gets a sandwich next. <laughs>